The world is like a ride at an amusement park, and when you choose to go on it, you think it's real, because that's how powerful our minds are. I can tell you from experience, the effect you have on others is the most valuable currency there is. Don't think, feel. It is like a finger pointing away to the moon. Don't concentrate on the finger, or you will miss all that heavenly glory. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Nicholas Gregoratti Show, the podcast for men seeking true health, wealth, and fulfillment. I am your host, Nicholas Gregoratti, speaking to you from Los Angeles, California. And today I have a very intelligent guest who, to be honest, he has a pretty concerning and pretty dark perspective on our future as a species and where we're going as a civilization. But it is very well argued and... I guess I don't want to be someone who sticks my head in the sand. I want to know if uh, what's coming. And uh, his arguments are, are pretty interesting. I think there's, they have some weight to them as well. So before we get into that, I want to let you guys know that I've taken on two new sponsors for the Nicholas Gregoratti show. Now, you may have heard me discussing and mentioning products and services in the past. And those were always somehow related to to me. I was either an owner of, of one of the businesses or it was a service that I was providing directly that I was mentioning. I've never advertised anything from a third party on my podcast, primarily because I made a promise to myself I would only ever advertise or promote things that I believed in and that I used myself. And the opportunity arose recently. One of my previous guests, Sean Lake, the owner of Bob Naturals reached out to ask if he could sponsor the show. Now, you guys may have heard the episode with Sean last year. It was one of the most downloaded episodes and also one of my favorites. I, I felt a real connection to this guy. He was just a good guy and he had an amazing story about how he started his company. If you don't remember, his best friend was killed in Benghazi and he he created the company as a uh, in honor to honor his friend's memory, his friend's nickname was Bubs, and so his company is called Bubs Naturals, and that's where it started. So, Bubs, just a little bit of backstory. I've been taking collagen every night before I go to sleep for for a long time. Uh, collagen has twenty grams of protein in it, and I'm one of those people. I sleep better when I have protein in my stomach. I just get a deeper sleep, and I, I don't wake up hungry, or I don't. Um, yeah, I just don't wake up hungry. I feel I feel better when I have protein in my stomach. So the thing about collagen is it's got a very high quality protein that your body can use very efficiently. So it's been shown clinically that if you take collagen regularly, it leads to better joint health, greater muscle recovery, improved hair, skin, and nails, improved digestion, and a bunch of other things. It supports your metabolic function as well because of the amino acid glycine that it has in it. And especially if you're a jiu-jitsu guy listening to this, as I mentioned earlier, it's it's really good for your joints. As a 42-year-old jiu-jitsu player, you know, I've got to do everything I can to keep my joints healthy. And I've noticed collagen is one of those things that definitely makes a difference. Now, before Sean approached me about sponsoring the show, as I said, I was taking collagen already. But right after he did that episode with me, he sent me a Bub's Naturals gift pack that included some of their collagen in it. And I tried it and I instantly quit taking the one I'd been taking before because his was just better. I could tell it was better quality. It smelled better. It mixed more easily. It tasted better. And it was just a higher quality product. So when he wanted to sponsor the show, I jumped at the chance because I knew that would also mean some some free Bub's Naturals collagen for me. And also because I believe in the product. So if you've been on the fence about trying collagen, I know it's all the rage now and there's a reason for that. It, it really works. Then please head on over to bubsnaturals.com and try out some of Bub's Naturals collagen or any of their other amazing products. And you can also find it on Amazon. It really is a fantastic brand and I fully support it and stand by it. Now, there's another sponsor I've taken on, which is my friend Rocco. So you guys, if you've listened to the show at all over the past year, you know how many times Rocco has been on. I think he's the most recurring guest in my history in podcasting. I think he's been on four or five times now. Rocco is the person I trust most in this world. I trust him as much as I trust my family. 
Yeah, I, I trust that man with my life, literally with my life. And initially I was hesitant to, when he reached out to me asking if he could sponsor the show, I was a little bit hesitant because, you know, I'm, I'm a coach, right? I help men become the best versions of themselves. And Rocco's offering, I don't want to say a similar service, but there is some overlap. So I initially thought, wow, there might be a conflict of interest. And it actually caused a little bit of resistance within me. But the way I reconciled it and the way I understand is that Rocco and I do two different things. So I am a lifestyle coach primarily for entrepreneurs. If you're a man who is maybe running his own business or working in, a, in your family business and it's not as successful as you want it to be, or it's too successful and you don't have any time for yourself and your health and your relationships and your sleep and those types of things are suffering. That's kind of my speciality. I, I help with those types of things. I help you get the most out of your life and your business. Now, Rocco's different. Rocco is what I call a surgeon of the soul. This guy, <laughs> if you're, if you're struggling with deeper issues, right? If there's something that's really bothering you about just the way you move through the world and you feel that you're being held back by your own baggage or trauma, or you know, you're not operating at your best because you're carrying around a wound, right? Or wounds that need to be addressed. Rocco is your guy, right? Like he is, in my opinion, so much more powerful than a therapist could ever be. I would always recommend to anyone I know who was considering therapy, I would say to them, don't go to therapy, just go straight to Rocco. He, he is operating at a far higher level. He's, got, he's developed what I believe to be a better form of psychology and psychotherapy that's grounded in uh, metaphysical, scientific aspects or experiences that Rocco's had that far surpass what traditional psychology and psychotherapy offers us. And the thing about Rocco is, you know, I've known quite a few psychotherapists and psychologists in my life, and most of them have, have been pretty fucked up. That's the honest truth. They've all had their own issues that, I mean, to be honest, were very often worse than the issues I saw in their patients, right? <laughs> like they just weren't, they weren't walking the walk. But Rocco, man, that guy, he walks the walk as well as talking the talk. He's, he's the real deal. He has figured out the psychology required to, to be a happy, healthy human being. And it's worked wonders in my life. You know, when I, when I got divorced, I was very messed up. I'm sure if you listen to the show around that period, almost a year and a half ago, you could hear I, I was fucked up. There's just no doubt about it. And this is coming from a guy who, you know, I thought I had things figured out, right? Like I, I've been in personal development for a very long time, decades. And when I went to Rocco, you know, I just reached out to him. I wasn't even looking for help. He was just a friend I hadn't spoken to in a long time. And he had just finished a journey in which he had, he had performed what he calls psychological self-repair by um, going deep into his mind and figuring out what the answers were through, through deep meditative introspections and reflections and asking the most difficult questions and facing the darkness within himself. He found the answers and that guy saved my life. He really did. I'm the man I am today because of Rocco Jarman. And so if you feel that there is a, in the matrix, they call it a, a splinter in your mind, right? Morpheus speaks about a splinter in your mind. If you feel that there is something within you that really needs to be addressed, get in touch with Rocco. He, I know he'll help you. I give him my highest recommendation. You can find out more about him and his work at eyeswideopenlife.org. Don't pass up the opportunity in, <laughs> in the not too distant future. You're not going to be able to get time with this guy because I really believe he's, he's going to be uh, in very high demand within a couple of years. Okay, guys. So uh, let's jump into our episode with Anthony Wall and talk about the end of the world. Enjoy Greetings, brothers. Welcome back to the show. I know it's been an extended layoff, but I'm happy to be back and also happy to introduce today's guest, Anthony A. Wall Jr. And he is the founder of the Noesis Project. He is a humanitarian. It's a nonprofit organization, and it's a worldwide network of education whose mission is to understand the evolutionary causes of the human condition to enable human survival into a sustainable future. 
Wow, that's a that's a big task that you've given yourself, Anthony. Uh, so I'm told. Yes, yes, it is. <laughs> uh, I, I hope uh, I hope uh, we show ourselves to be up to it. Yeah, me too. Because I, I guess I mean that's the biggest the biggest thing facing us as a species at the moment. My very good friend and mentor believes that the the issue his name's Rocco Jarman the issue that we're facing is a flaw in our biology he says our certain aspects of our evolutionary design including our tribal natures used to be features and now they've become bugs and they are ultimately what will will sink us as a species unless we address that and go beyond that is that similar to to what you believe in and what you guys are putting out there Yes, I, I actually, um, I was impressed by the way he puts that. I'm sure he has expanded on that greatly, and I will also expand on that greatly. Uh, he's on the right track, uh, but what we do is all about hope and remedy, but we also come from a, place, a very serious place where, where human beings are currently unsustainable and that we have a lot of work to do. So... Uh, what we and your friend, uh, where we come from, it may, may look very similar. I built a nonprofit to, in, in order to be actionable, as opposed to the other, as opposed to perhaps writing a book and leaving it at that. So we are here to act, and uh, I think we'll line up with your friend to some extent. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to definitely introduce you, you two to each other at some point because I suspect that you both have similar perspectives on the world and uh, I'm, I'm sure you'll be able to help each other in some way. I guess my first question, you know, I'm, I like to consider myself a man of action. I, I find that very often a lot of people have great ideas and great theories and it doesn't really go anywhere. And also in today's world, I find that a lot of people complain a lot about the nature of reality or complain about civilization or societal structures, but they are very seldom the ones doing anything. So I guess my uh, one of my questions to you, Anthony, is what, what has Noesis done? Like, can, can you point me towards any tangible real-world results uh, in addressing this concern that you guys have achieved? Real-world results will necessarily flow over the course of decades, as you will come to understand by what our methodology is, Human beings, we can both agree, are not speedboats. You know, we don't turn in the water like speedboats. We, if we turn in the water towards sustainability, we will turn like much more like an aircraft carrier, slowly and over time, and with nothing guaranteed whatsoever, because noesis cannot guarantee in any way that human beings have not already committed themselves to a reality from which we cannot return. When we come to anybody with the idea that we will produce human sustainability, that's when everybody gets to locate the exits, and I'll be right behind them. Sure. So is your friend, by the way, a gentleman by, by the name of Rocco? Yes, Rocco Jarman is his name. Yes, I, I came to understand by listening to what you do that you have a close association with, with Rocco. And in fact, you guys were partnering on another project upcoming. Yes, uh, Rocco is, is um, a beacon of light and sanity in my world. And I, I truly value and appreciate my friendship with him. And I'm always there to do anything I can to help him. So connecting him with you, I'm sure, as I said, would, will be really cool. You know, he and I both watched a film recently that I'm very interested to know if perhaps you're familiar with, which is uh, the, the Netflix movie starring Leonardo DiCaprio called Don't Look Up. Were you able to watch that? Yes, I did see the film. Okay, um, I'd love your perspectives on it, Anthony, because to me and, and to Rocco as well, it seemed to encapsulate the, the exact issue I spoke about uh, earlier in, in the show, which is that we have this tendency as human beings to splinter off into these like binary viewpoints, right? It's, it's my tribe versus your tribe or left and right or conservative versus liberal or whatever it might be, or black or white, whatever the the groups that we decide to organize ourselves into might be. And I found that that film <laughs> really accurately showed that that's, that's the issue facing us is where Rock always says the problem is we can't agree on anything. It's not whether or not coronavirus is as serious as it is or 
whether or not global warming is as serious as we claim it to be. The problem is that we cannot really agree on anything and that's why we can't move forwards. So I'd love to hear your perspectives on, on the film and, and what I've just shared. Um, this will sound very familiar to you and Rocco. I get the feeling that we're coming from the same place by way of what we do and the way we think. First of all, there's something that you said that one of the things we're here to do is to remind human beings that there is actually now one thing upon all upon which all human beings can now agree. Politically, no. Religiously, no. Culturally, no. However, out of the mist and quite suddenly comes a banner that we can easily agree on. And that is that the end of the human species, perhaps the most remarkable and rare species in the galaxy, is now visible to us. When that comment is no longer a stretch, I would that's why noesis or noesis like entity must exist. So the book, oh, pardon me, the, the film, all of us probably got the following. The film was an amplified, like a cartoonishly amplified version of the kind of thinking that's destroying all of us. Like each character was cartoon-like on purpose. It was obvious very quickly that the director wanted to make every actor cartoon-like. And the director was, I give the director a lot of credit because they made, he made, he talked to some of the best actors in the world to act like children. And we understand why now. He wanted them to act like children because that was the metaphor for a human race that cannot view itself in any way. And because of that, continues to trek toward unsustainability, except this time we have the misfortune of not being able to get up next time. When we fall, we will not get up. This free fall that humanity is in doesn't hurt, but the sudden stop at the bottom unfortunately will. Yeah, yeah, I, I I agree with you. Um, one thing I'm I will question you on, though, Anthony, is you mentioned that there is one thing we can all agree on, or one thing that we do all agree on, which is that the the um the end of the human race is is visible. You know, I, I don't think everyone does agree on that. I think there's a large percentage of the population that that doesn't believe that that's inevitable, even if we continue along our our current course. So I'd love to know where you get that that information from or what you base that opinion on. Thank you. It's a great question. Uh, and one which I can defend, I think, very handily. First of all, I do, when I committed to this three years ago, uh, before the pandemic, uh, human sustainability was, to me at that point, already before the pandemic, utterly unattainable. So the pandemic, um, as, as horrible, as horrible as an event that it was, is certainly concerning. There are four things that human beings are looking at for sustainability. They all exist in our future. Number one, climate change. These are all very noble things, by the way. Climate change, pandemic, nuclear technologies, nuclear, nuclear disarmament. And a fourth one is now sneaking in its disruptive technologies. This is when our computers determine that they no longer need us. Um, so let's call these the big four. And uh, let's have Noesis uh, very politely tap the human shoulder and say there is one concern, however, none of the four things that we call the big four has ever provably disassembled or destroyed a human culture in history, in past history. There have been about 80 major human cultures on Earth. All of them were disassembled and destroyed in very precision, machine-like, and predictable fashion. Uh, wherever precision and predictability are, signals the presence of a mathematical constant and not a situational concern. So first of all, there's that. We come at this from an extremely fact-based perspective. We are fact-based because human beings in distress, clearly in distress as one species, no longer have the luxury of theory. So when we start spouting theory or what we say does not stand a reason on its worst day, 
we'll be out of business fast, and we should be. So what has always been on the tombstone of all 80 major past human cultures is not the big four. None of them were. What was always there is perpetual conflict, conflict into perpetuity. Those we have no, as you'll come to see, if I'm communicating correctly, and I'm thinking maybe your friend will, will be listening, and I think he'll concur. When I say we have no chance of sustainability, I say that by noting that all the models that were present that destroyed every human culture before us are all around us again, everywhere we look, not things that are vaguely alike, no, precisely alike. Could you, could you share, share, share what those things are? Yeah. In general, perpetual conflict, perpetual conflict is not, it is not survivable and it never was. Perpetual conflict is undefeated. Like the, I mean, when you speak about conflict, are we are we talking about warfare? Or are we talking about differences of opinion or internet arguments? Could you be a little bit more specific? We're talking about perpetual conflict is everywhere you look, whether you look a hundred feet from you, a hundred miles into each country, into every all two hundred countries. Our economic models are based upon a serial killer of human cultures. If our conflicts were to end tomorrow, the markets would crash to zero. So we have monetized our killer. In fact, so uh, uh, what places us into perpetual conflict is where Noetis is going to make it stand. And that is in the now very well understood timeline of the human evolutionary journey on earth, which was 50 years ago, a matter of some conjecture, but which now is greatly, greatly understood. So in order for us to determine what places us into conflict and keeps us there, we need to open this now available window of self-discovery. We can determine who we are for the first time. Human beings do not know themselves because they've never met themselves. We, uh, you will easily agree on this. Again, we come from fact-based. We live in the present moment. It's the only thing we own, Nick. We can agree on that. We only own our present moment. It's this present moment now between us. Uh, We think we were born with a clean slate. No. There were 6,000 generations of human beings before us. We carry the weight of 2 million years of human evolution that presses down upon our present moments. It's no stretch that our desire to free ourselves from these extremely, these extremely diverse compulsions and impulses that occur at levels of the brain not of consciously available to us is ridiculous. We cannot in any way shut them down because they activate 20 times faster than the thinking brain. So we're overmatched by our own biology out of the gate. So I'm I'm hoping that that when I throw that in there, it'll add a a little bit more to to an already interesting uh, uh, discussion between you and your friend. Oh, it, it certainly will. I just want to clarify. So, so what what you're saying is that we are at the mercy of these evolutionary impulses, these deep structures in our brain that provide or, or um, cause things like territorial behavior and hoarding and warfare and and all those different types of negative consequences of being human. And what you guys are trying to do is educate people as to those issues, and then or to those characteristics and then get people to supersede them or go beyond them? What exactly is it that you guys are trying to do? What we will need to do, we're going to try to do what we've determined the only, uh, the only choice is for human beings. This existential crisis that we're clearly in now, a human race, 8 billion of us, we are clearly in an existential crisis. We, we, we are failing. 
we always have failed. I, I mentioned and I say again that all major human cultures before today all failed in precisely the same way that we're failing now. These There are mathematical constants at work. We know what they are. I'll explain them in a, in a few minutes easily, and, and you will you will understand what I'm saying. I don't think you'll, you'll say in any way like that just makes no sense at all. I think what you'll say is, I never thought of it that way. That's what we're hearing. So first of all, let me explain how human beings got to this place. Because of the clarity of the evolutionary timeline, if we know where to look, we can determine it'll jump right out of you and bite you where human beings crossed over in a very random way from acting naturally over the course of 300,000 years of migration and then settling down and taking up behaviors of acquisition, which would then ignite clinically unnatural behavior relative to human DNA. Are we talking about the the advent of agriculture and I mean, the agrarian age. Exactly, precisely. And um, I, I want to compliment you there. That, cro- that crossover event was about twenty to 10,000 years ago. Uh, humans came off of a 275,000-year uh, period of highly, highly collaborative, collaborate or die type of behavior. It allowed us to get to all areas of the globe. And when we did, there was nothing else for us to do logically but to settle down which we did. Again, this is a, I'm describing in random evolutionary events. And our populations grew. Now, migratory collaborative beings were forced to take up uh, behaviors of acquisition. They fell in naturally for us. This is no one's fault. Blame, judgment, they have no place here. We're, we're professional explainers. So once acquisition fell in and our deepest longings for collaboration were discouraged, here's where the problem began for us. So there's already a constant that I've put into place, and that is stationary human beings were forced to do things that were unnatural to migratory DNA. The first thing that happened was the creation of greater and lesser beings. I talk about constant mathematics. I harp on it. Why? Because it eliminates blame and judgment. When we eliminate blame and judgment and become observers, what what emerges immediately when our emotions are gone are all the mathematical patterns that assure human failure. A lesser being would go on to escape that reality from the moment he or she was born into it. It was not a situational concern to be a lesser being. It was a biological insult relative to human migratory DNA. So I'm not, uh, if I may interrupt you, Anthony, I'm not quite sure of uh, what you're referring to when you speak of lesser and greater beings. Are you talking about their, their biological? how genetically equipped they were to survive or thrive in, in the new new world. I don't, I don't quite get what you're describing. I'm glad you asked me to clarify. Uh, what formed was the first meritocracy among human beings. It was a financial meritocracy. We took up acquisitive behavior. Collaboration yielded to acquisition. As you correctly pointed out, we were able to settle into bigger and bigger populations by way of an agricultural awakening. Um, We domesticated beasts of burden. We domesticated pack animals like dogs who were adept at um, uh, hurting our beasts of burden. Uh, So this agricultural awakening allowed human beings to settle down into bigger and bigger populations. And the first elements of control were introduced to the human experience for the first time. Control mechanisms are a a function of population control, so they have their place. The problem is that they ignited uh, greater and lesser beings. A financial meritocracy must feature people who are fancy themselves to be greater and other people who we believe to be lesser, but who never, ever got that memo and never, ever will. So 
the collapse of human cultures to come after that was mathematically assured the moment a lesser being was created because a lesser being had collaborative equality in wound around its bones. I called it a biological insult. We call this the human injury. The human injury is not a buzz phrase. It's not a neat way to put something. Human beings suffered a psychic injury to the collective human heart. When that crossover event occurred, when we were asked to take up behaviors of pure acquisition, and when our deepest longings were discouraged and crowded out. Okay, so I have some questions. Again, I just, I, I don't know if I'm, I'm just looking at this from the, the wrong perspective, but a lesser being would be analogous to a have not, and a greater being would be analogous to a have in this new system? Or, or Yeah, we, we, we call this the hierarchy of human value. Um, a collaborating being that was moving around the earth over the course of 300,000 years, there was a circle. It rolled as a circle. Again, collaborate or die. There was highly collaborative behavior between all the members of the group. There were no lesser beings. There were only necessary beings. Okay. Now, a meritocracy form, the first meritocracy, any meritocracy in existence, even right now as we speak, show me a meritocracy of any kind that's unchecked, and I will show you a constantly failed dynamic right up ahead. There are no exceptions to constants in the universe. Anyone who feels diminished will default to resentment. Resentment will default to vengeance, and vengeance will default to insurgency. Wow. Wow. So a lesser being created in a financial meritocracy would go on to violently escape that reality. So that right there assures and would go on to, in fact, destroy every single human culture that was stationary for the last 10,000 years. So, so are you, are you, we're basically just speaking about inequality at, at its root. It's, there's haves and have-nots. When you're a have-not in a particular system, you start to become resentful and buck against the system and eventually cause its downfall. Is that a, an accurate way of simplifying what you're just describing? It is also, it all, it's almost precise. And if we would go right now, even if we were to take time right now, you and I, to Google reasons for societal collapse, there will be two reasons, increasing complexity and inequality. There are no exceptions. Now, to, to point this out, Nick, brings no value. Noises brings no value by pointing it out. A dystopic future, anybody can do that. We can go to the movies and find that, can't we? So what value does Noesis bring by pointing out the idea that what has always made us fail is all around us again, and also that we've monetized these things that we never understood, these dynamics? Up to 200 years ago, human beings weren't even yet aware that they had evolved on this earth. Any past culture, it would reach the same point that we're reaching now, and it had nowhere to go from there. It had no point of reference to, to repair itself. Sure. It had no way to know that, uh, that, that 50 ancient compulsions were steering its actions. Mm. So it was trying to make choices to change, and those choices would be attacked and set upon by impulses and compulsions that are way, way stronger than our will to defeat them. So you're asking me, what will Noesis do after pointing that out? And after making intelligent individuals like you have that moment of like, hmm, you know, it, what, what, we're, what we're hearing is, I never thought about it that way, as opposed to, wow, look at the big brain on Noesis. No. <laughs> So if I um before before you tell me how Noesis is going to do it, Rocco's plan, he says that, and again his his ideas are are very 
nuanced and, and very sophisticated. And sometimes I don't always uh, describe them accurately or precisely, but he says that this, if we don't correct this, then nature will take over. Nature will correct it in its own way, which might look like extinction or, or certain, I mean, we, we don't know exactly what it'll look like, but he, he believes that we'll revert to a state of, of um, nature, right? It, it, it will literally, uh, I've heard an expression once, many years ago, it said the earth is analogous to a dog, right? And we are analogous to fleas on that dog and a dog with fleas scratches. So things will emerge from nature, such as pandemics or earthquakes, whatever it might be to, to basically cleanse the, the Gaia or the earth of the scourge of this humanity that keeps, you know, destroying it. Now he says the the solution to this, the only way to go beyond this inevitability is through consciousness, right? Like we have to evolve to a higher level of consciousness so that we supersede our physiological limitations. Is that kind of what you guys are hoping to do, or is, is it something completely different? No, it's extremely, extremely. Uh, it's hooked it right in. I say with great risk that. Your friend is all over the problem because he has a logical and deductive mind. The reason why we built this noesis, it's taken us three years, and I'll, you will find a, a standard of quality here that explains to anybody who comes here, like, hey, these guys have been busy, right? So we can't come here with nonsense or we're going to be out of business. You don't tackle human sustainability by claiming to be that and then not walk it. So your friend is all over it. Let me expand upon it. There are the earth loses 150 species to extinction every day. There are two main catalog species. That was good work by us. Not really. There are thought to be about 14 million species on Earth. We've met, we've yet to meet one of every six species here. Human beings don't know how we got here, and we don't know how we're leaving. So into that reality, we have a sentient species that comes into being and reaches its ultimate crisis. That's where we are. That's what your friend has seen. And he correctly says that consciousness, what he's saying is that we literally need to think ourselves into sustainability. He is correct. And that's what we are doing here. We built a nonprofit to take action, not to describe the concerns. Okay. So what kind of action? There isn't anything I'm going to say that, that, and by the way, if I went directly against uh, uh, your friend, I would very much declare that. It wouldn't, again, there's, there's no point in blind agreement. Sure. We're going to make a lot of people uncomfortable. And are we about extinction on Earth? Well, 99.9% .9 of the things that ever existed on Earth are already extinct. Mm -hmm. Five billion extinctions since the dawn of life on Earth, thought to be around three billion or so years ago. Extinction is the norm. Survival is the exception. Mm. So we're trying to demystify extinction, not scare anybody by it. The idea that this couldn't happen to us is absolutely preposterous. So it's a painful thing. That's why Noesis comes in. Uh, comes into existence to try to demystify the entire thing, first of all, and get human beings to value themselves by understanding that a crossover event is now plainly viewable that made us unsustainable. None of this, anything that we see, none of it is our fault. The idea that we can be called a scourge, let me just say it straight out. Is what we've become a scourge on the planet? Clinically, yes, clinically. However, we're not in a, 
in a laboratory here. We're, we're in therapy. How did this happen to us? Mm. Okay, so if we determined that what happened to us was a random crossover event that we kind of went with and that then began to fail in machine-like fashion, and we had no choice but to start the whole thing over again because we never understood what killed the last one. We arrived today still nursing this injury where diminished human beings, never mind whether we think they're diminished, if they feel diminished in any way, they will default to, uh, they won't go away and say, well, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a diminished human being. No, they will plot vengeance. And when somebody plots vengeance, they will do well to dig two graves, one for themselves and one for their target. So this is a mathematical failed, mathematically failed dynamic. Humans fail mathematically, not situationally. It's, it's interesting you say that because um, Rocco always speaks about doing the math. He's, he's referring specifically when he says that to psychological math when it comes to your own emotional traumas and, and psychological issues. You have to resolve them by doing psychological math. And um, so I just find that interesting that you guys both I don't want to say fixated, but both uh, view this through the lens of, of mass. I think that's really interesting. Well, here's another reason why it helps. And it, not, not only why it helps, Nick. By the way, do you go by Nick or Nicholas? Uh, Nick is fine. Thank you. Okay. So not only will it help, Nick, but humans don't respond to blame or judgment. We will... We will attack and kill blame or judgment because it's perceived as a threat in the human brain. So this is a good example of us having monetized what we never understood. We're in a cycle economically of blame and blame rejection. You know, if, if I told, if I asked you, Nick, go out and blame 10 people today and come back and tell me how that went. I would say, don't bother. I'll tell you how <laughs> it'll go. Sure, sure. Your blame will be violently rejected because it is viewed by the human mind as a threat, and, this, and the human mind does not bargain with threats, does it? So, not, not very well, yeah. So that is right there, ground zero for perpetual conflict. We're locked into work like heroin addicts, okay? It is not sustainable. It never was, and this goes back to the, your question at the beginning. What do you mean by this is all going to disintegrate? It has to, again, mathematically, these are not survivable dynamics. And we're in a fine mess here, Nick. That is that we monetized what puts food on our tables is also our known demonstrable destroyer of human cultures. This is a fine mess here. Uh, you, you say, uh, we've monetized conflict. Is that what you're saying? We've monetized conflict to the point of, that if we stopped conflict, our markets would crash to zero and then we would know what conflict is. We'd be in the streets. Sure. And so basically, I mean, you're, you're referring to the military industrial complex, which drives the, the economic wheels of the largest economies in the world. It, it goes way beyond that. I'll tell you a story about an attorney I know, a, a, a world-class attorney. Trust that. He's a world-class attorney. I, in, a, in a moment of lucidity, where he was able to just talk to me and I, I asked him, just don't be threatened by this question. Tell me if it's true or not. When you go into your office tomorrow, you're gonna to pick up your assignment, your, your client, and you're gonna do one of two things. You're either gonna be asked to go assess blame or reject blame. There will be no other two things besides that. You're, you will do one of those two things. And he thought for a second and said, you are precisely correct. And when you put it that way, I never thought of it like that. So we raise our children to love and respect the world and those in it. And then we send them into a meat grinder, <laughs> and, and a meat grinder that's provably never, ever, ever survived. So we're not here to blame it. We're here to as we keep the four things that we want to get under control in the future in our peripheral vision, as we wish to partner with them and they with us, we're going to go into the 
now very, very active and well understood human evolutionary timeline and determine who we are so that we can reintegrate with baser compulsions that we banished to the basement long ago. But did they go anywhere? No, they went nowhere. They've reinvented in modern ways that these protective instincts and compulsions were designed to kill enemies that died eons ago. So we're literally suffering evolutionary hallucinations. And And these have no choice but to answer, as we see in the modern day, in highly misaligned fashion, why we're misinterpreting modern threats. Yeah, uh, again, I keep quoting Rocco, but uh, one, of, one of the biggest lessons I learned from him is fear is not danger. And through discernment and awareness, you have to constantly be moderating your internal perception and dialogue and perceiving what, what is actually danger and, and what is just fear that's, that's uh, inaccurately present or, or that's not necessary at that, that particular time. It's kind of the same thing that you're describing, is it not? It is, it is very much so. Now, what can I add to Rocco? And what can Rocco add to me uh, is the good question. Is that is Rocco was able to arrive at these evolved decisions. We can determine what it would take to achieve human sustainability. And if we can determine what it takes. And if we can act like what it takes, that means that everybody has a chance to become sustainable. If we begin to teach the the evolutionary reasons for all modern behavior and determine whether or not they have any use in the modern day, and the answer will be nine out of 10 times, no. So we can't go back to I mean, we, we, we've settled now. In this particular instance of civilization, we, we're not hunter-gatherers. We have settled into nation states and, and cities and, and whatnot. And we industrialize and farm things and we can't go back. I mean, there's no going back from that. So you're proposing that what we do is make everyone aware of these evolutionary impulses and just by making them aware of them, that immunizes them against them, or is there, is there more to it than that? Oh, much more, but, you, but you're on it right there. The first thing we do is, we, how do we get a planet to notice this? What you and I are able to notice now, by, by exchange of information, what Rocco noticed, we all notice this. A human culture that does not notice it and is absorbed in it must be made to notice it first. So what we're, what we're here to do is to educate an entire planet. And what would the education do? What would it say if it could talk? It would say this. Every single action in the present day has its roots in a past reality. We need to ask ourselves, is, are we deploying, uh, are we deploying aligned responses? This goes right back to your friend. Our, our responses are misaligned because we are misinterpreting threats. We would need to understand that the misinterpretation of a threat would necessarily unleash a misaligned force. Okay, another mathematical, a socio-mathematical constant. We're seeing people attacking one another, strangers. Are we seeing a breakdown? No, strangely, we are seeing normal behavior that doesn't understand itself in any way. So when I abandoned, like apparently Rocco did, when I abandoned my emotions and looking at things, I began to be an observer and I began to, right away, the mathematical patterns emerged. So this means that if we had a, if, if you, me and Rocco collected a million people, and place them somewhere and put them into this, uh, uh, what stationary, they would fall into what stationary uh, populations always have, a meritocracy, and we can fly away for 500 years 
And in 500 years, we'll come back and what we will find will be absolutely, utterly predictable in nature. It's a mathematical inevitability. I understand. We're not failing by circumstances or situations. Our history books explain situations. We're failing by math. And the mathematical constant was put in place by a now clearly visible crossover event. We can revisit it and we can make we'll need to make way different decisions within the same models because capitalism is the only choice for a free species. Sure. So are we, yeah, just my mind is, is popped up an idea. So that the crossover event, which was us settling and, and leaving our, our nomadic roots as mathematically insured or mathematically ensures of civilization's demise. Surely they're, there potentially then would have to be a crossover event that ensures its its success. If I was just agreeing with you blindly, that would make me, uh, that would be uh, something that would be disingenuous. In fact, I made, we made a video on this. It's called inertia. You, you know where the title's going anywhere already. What's happening to us right now is we are in an inertia that we must, we must somehow break. Inertia by its, again, by its mathematical nature means that it will fly in a straight line and tend to not stop unless altered by an outside event. So there were three major inertias. Homo erectus, two million years. And after 1.7 million years, Homo sapiens, a new inertia would take humans to all areas of the globe. And then a new inertia formed when we settled down and we collaboration yielded to acquisition and the mathematically failed dynamics that we that I've just explained. If I can add anything to Rocco's thinking that's uh, already extremely deductive in nature, it's ground zero for his conclusions, and that is stationary human cultures and the behaviors that they naturally form. So, so if we do not understand why we fail, we have no ability other than to continue with it, and it's not survivable. That's why I can say that the human race is not is not sustainable in any discernible way. Pretty bold. After this discussion, I don't think so. After we stop, after we understand that we are doing math then there is a, something about a constant, and that is that it can be reproduced over and over anywhere in the universe. Two plus two equals four everywhere we go. Sure. So, you know, Rocco and I, we've disagreed on several things. I have to play devil's advocate here, and I think it's, it's partially my innate sense of optimism. I'm, I'm, logically, everything you've said makes sense, and I fear that you are probably correct, but I'm, my mind is looking for reasons that you potentially might not be. And what would you say to, uh, if I posited that the difference this time around with this iteration of civilization is that we have technologies, the likes of which have never been seen before, and that those could solve these problems in ways that we might not be able to see yet. The question's a great one. I understand it completely. Uh, there are several realities that must intrude uh, with all respect. Sure, sure. Show me a technology and I'll show you something we weaponize first. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so again, right away, that just, that just I, when I say intrude, I, I really meant that, it intrudes. So this, this conjures up the idea about the well-worn idea that, you know, when, when we are up against the ropes, when the human species is at its ultimate moment, will evolve. No, we won't. It will evolve. You know, we all saw the, the day the earth stood still. It was, <laughs> these, the being said, okay, I'll give you guys another chance. Unfortunately, the being should have consulted you, me, and Rocco first. I would have been the person that stepped out of the crowd and said, one second, please, sir. Don't, don't dash just yet. We are locked in conflict and you're telling us not to be. So that means tomorrow our markets will crash and then we'll be protecting our children in the streets with shotguns. So in other words, we understand that this is a movie. We're sufficiently entertained. It doesn't live in the real world. 
human beings don't have the essentials to evolve. We don't understand ourselves. And noesis is going to educate this entire planet on why we do what we do. And this goes back to Rocco's point. He's on this. Consciousness. We must understand ourselves and not tumble end over end into sustainability. No, we will literally decide to evolve by understanding who we are and becoming it. We will become who we are because only a being that understands where it is can plot its next point of arrival. Wow. Yes. So we proceed from several, several false premises. One of them is that we can control at will these ancient wrecking balls still alive inside of us. We cannot. We would do well to make friends with them and bring them into the open because they're making the rules. Well, funny enough, Rocco has a course that I just completed late last year. It's called Accepting Your Nature. And um, the premise is that you cannot go beyond your biological, physiological limitations until you understand what they are and accept them for what they are. So um, we've determined definitely that Rocco and I, a gentleman I'm sure I'll meet and, and look forward to talking to one day, you know, all the only thing I've done that's even different than he is simply built a, a nonprofit, a vehicle that we may be, that, that I intend to make actionable while I continue to walk this earth. Yeah. Um, and that can have escape velocity to continue to keep on going when I'm no longer here. Yeah. Success for Noesis would would really mean that I'm long dead. So, you know, a human, we're not even close to sustainability. We've mm. got a lot of work to do. And I also point out something that before I was born, Anthropologists, if you, by all means, please check my work. Sure. Anthropological computer models assign human beings perhaps a 2% chance to survive technological childhood where we are right now. So moving the needle would really be about not up to like 50%. We're talking moving the needle up to 4%, which is double because, again, Nature's in no mood for our brand of dysfunction. <laughs> right. But we also, it's not, it's also not our fault. We need to stop blaming ourselves for what we've done. Mm. I agree. And on that note, Anthony, I, uh, today's a, a very busy podcast day for me. I have four episodes back to back that I'm recording. This, this conversation went over what I expected it to. And I'm, I'm really happy it did because I thoroughly enjoyed it. I think the next thing that we have to do is get, both you and Rocco on for another episode. We could have a three-way conversation. I think that would probably tear a, a rip in the fabric of space time, having you two guys talking. <laughs> I love it. I love that. Yeah. Now, you're talking my language now. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, um, usually when I finish the episode, I, I give a, a, a formal closure, but I'm not going to do that on this one. I'm going to say to be continued. And what I'll do is I'll email you very shortly to set something up so that the, the three of us can jump on a, a second episode. How does that sound? It would be my pleasure. Okay. Thank you for your time today. And I, I look forward to the next episode. Thanks again, Nick. I told you guys that was pretty heavy. Now, you know, when I was a kid, I was raised from the age of 10 in a fundamentalist Christian household. And I'm sure some of you guys are familiar with the way fundamentalist Christianity works. They believe that the end of the world is imminent. And that's what's going to happen is all the believers are going to be taken up into heaven and then the world is going to be uh, eradicated in fire and brimstone and pestilence and a whole bunch of other stuff. So when I left that belief system behind, I, I also left behind pretty much most of its core tenets, one of them being that the world was going to end. I just turned my back on that. And I've always been very resistant and very hesitant to engage with doomsday scenarios and doomsday prophets and, and things like that. Because what I realize is that the world's been ending since the world began. There have been people crying about the world, the sky falling since the, the beginning of civilization, and it's never happened. However, Anthony makes some good points. And 
you know, I, I have a close friend who kind of believes the same thing is, is, uh, is due. And if we just look at it dispassionately, there is a case to be made that all civilizations and all species ultimately snuff themselves out sooner or later. It's not a very empowering thought or a very uplifting thought, but, you know, part of being an, an adult and part of being a man is just looking at the harsh truths and facing things you don't want to face. Now, I'm not saying it is true that the world's going to end. I really don't know whether it's going to end or not. I don't actually have uh, an opinion on that. Um, I, I'm just choosing to, to just watch, right? But we should be aware of the theories and the facts that are presented to us. And I think Anthony present, presents some facts that can't really be argued with. And he, his theory is pretty sound. But as we all know, theory isn't everything. And in practice, sometimes things don't follow the theory. So either way, I hope that was food for thought. And I just want to remind you guys of our two sponsors, Bubs Naturals. That makes the best collagen on the planet. Head on over and get some of their collagen. Take it before bed. You will sleep better than you ever have. And the surgeon of the soul, Rocco Jarman. If you want to get that splinter out of your mind that's been bothering you your whole life, he is the guy to talk to. Head on over to eyeswideopenlife.org to hear more about him. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode of the Nicholas Gregoratti Show. I'll be back in a week with some more. Until next time, may the force be with you. 